men are going to be healthier, wealthier, and happier personally and in their organizations if they can reinvent themselves as men. There really is another way to show up as a man from that traditional model. You can expand how you show up and it's worth it. There is a truly liberating power that comes from compassion and connection. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the 52 Weeks of Me podcast. I'm Jacqueline Osborne. And I'm Erica Brooks. This podcast is a platform for men and women to share their challenges and lessons they face throughout their journey toward achieving greater life balance through the four pillars of health and, of course, prioritizing the number one asset, you. Amazing. Let's get started. Ed, thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you. To help get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Jacqueline. I'm a writer. Primarily, uh, also a coach for folks who are writing or, or, or doing uh, business organizational culture work, and also a family guy. Uh, I have uh, a wife and two kids uh, here in San Francisco, and, and all those kind of parts of my identity are, are important to me. Uh, going back to the writer part, I have written or co written four books, the latest of which is uh, about masculinity and a better way of uh, being a man. And now, most recently, you made a shift from to entrepreneurship, but you hadn't always worked independently. I want to take a little bit to discuss that shift and what led you to, to make it, because I know that's a big pivotal moment for you. Yeah, thank you. I mostly worked in journalism for my career, about 25 years of that, uh, or maybe maybe about two decades, in writing about business, technology, and, and the workforce, mostly. The last seven or so, I was at Great Place to Work, which is a consulting firm that produces the Fortune 100 Best Companies to Work For lists and other best workplace lists. Uh, in December, I, I left Great Place to Work. And uh, I made that shift to become an independent professional, uh, as you mentioned, Jacqueline, really because of the book that I co-authored, as I just mentioned. It's called Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. And I realized when it came out in October of last year, I had to liberate myself. Uh, I had to follow my purpose and, and my calling more directly. I mean, great place to work is a great place to work, but it, I wanted to really explore this masculinity territory more and, and also some additional views on company culture and organizational cultures that uh, are a little bit different from what great place to work advocates. So let's talk a little bit about that. What exactly does it mean to reinvent masculinity? It basically means freeing ourselves from outdated, unhealthy, and limiting views of what it means to be a man. And, and really expanding the roles we can play as men, as well as the ways we can relate to others. Uh, and this allows us to have fuller lives. And in th this act of liberation also frees those around us to live fuller lives. So that the women, the children, the, the folks who are non-binary around us to really feel freer in their lives. And, and central to this reinvention uh, of masculinity is embracing compassion. That is to say, caring and caregiving. These things are things men have done, but it's been almost like subtly or, or without explicitly you know, being free to say that I, I care about you or I, or I love you or I'm going to be a, a caregiver, be emotionally expressive and have emotional intelligence. So that's, that's one piece. And the other big one is connection. We've grown up being told to be competitive, self-made men, really islands unto ourselves. And that's really a myth that has prevented us from relationships that enrich our lives, from collaboration that enables success today, and also from solving problems together on a wider scale some of these problems threaten the, the entire human race today, such, such as the climate change that we're wrestling with even in this very morning that we're talking and flooding around the country. So it's really not a stretch to say, I think, that the fate of humanity depends on us reinventing masculinity, moving from what we call a confined masculinity to a liberating version of what it means to be a man. And where did this come from? Was there something that happened to you personally that kind of triggered this interest in masculinity and examining, you know, the old fashioned version and the modern version of manhood? 
yes, there have been things that triggered me personally. I, I also want to acknowledge there's been a lot of writing and thinking and, and hard work on this question of better updated gender relations before me and my co-author Ed Adams wrote this book. But it definitely was a personal project as well. I, I grew up really not fitting into the man box that can find masculinity very well. You know, I, I grew up skinny when you're supposed to be strong. I lost my one fist fight in sixth grade. And in some of the sports events I was in, I never really had a, an outright championship. You know, so a, a lot of these kind of expectations didn't fit well for me. And neither did the work world very well in some ways. I never rose up to the vice president level in any organization. Uh, I managed one person for one day. I might have the shortest management career in history. So all these things kind of added up. And I was then seeing as I studied great workplaces that a different kind of masculinity is needed to succeed today because we're moving away from that barking boss, the command and control leader to, to leadership that has to do more to do with persuasion, emotional intelligence, and also being able to kind of lead in, in a more collaborative way. So for all those reasons, I was drawn to the book. My, my co-author, Ed, also had 30 years of experience treating men as a psychologist and creating a, a men's group called Men Mentoring Men that has done a lot of great work in helping men really you know, find a fuller way of living. Let's stick with this alignment between masculinity and reinventing masculinity and organizations. Why is it so important to both the individual, but more importantly, the organization? And how are you seeing that translate back into being a good place to work? You know, you can sum it up by saying men are going to be healthier, wealthier, and happier personally and in their organizations if they can, you know, reinvent themselves as men. The work world has become faster flatter and more fairness focused. By faster, I'm talking about the pace of change, especially in the digital age where, you know, we used to be able to have hierarchical top-down chain of command where you'd funnel information up to the boss or the CEO and they would make a decision. Usually it was a man and then funnel it back down. Well, that's actually too slow these days. You need to have everybody sensing and responding to rapid changes in the environment, opportunities as well as threats. The flatness piece relates to that as we're starting to see organizations get more horizontal and have teams that are matrixed, people that are work cross-functional ways and authorities being distributed more fully. So guys who are used to being sort of the domineering boss have a hard time in those kinds of structures. And the last piece is, is about the fairness piece. That's really about Me Too. It's about Black Lives Matter. It's about realizing that men, especially white men, have had a lot of privilege. We may have worked hard, but we've had an easier time of it. And really, society has forced a new recognition of, uh, of what's really been uh, unfair for, for a lot of people in the workplace. And if, if men aren't able to sort of see themselves as part of this broader society that they aren't necessarily as independent as they would like to see themselves as, they're going to have a hard time fitting into and succeeding in organizations. We have to reckon with our, our privilege and really helping others succeed in, in new ways. So I think we both know that neither Erica nor I are a man. But I, I suspect that most men, just like us females, want to be happy and live life meaningfully. But the question I have for you is, why do you think that is so hard? Is it the stereotypes or is there more to it than that? The peer pressure is no joke. I know there are peer pressures for women, too, to, to show up in certain ways. For, for guys, they may not be as explicit, maybe, at times, but they're, they're definitely there. You're supposed to be tough. You're supposed to never cry. Boys don't cry. And if you step out of line in, in, in some of these ways, you're really mocked. It's very difficult to challenge those sort of uh, pecking orders, beliefs that show up in, in cool, you know, and then beyond. But paving a new way is really worth it. We have a number of examples in our book, but just to take a personal one, you know, in the last several years, I've really kind of tried to 
practice what I preach, you know, and focus more on being more about purpose and service than, than uh, winning the rat race. And so, you know, even though I haven't had that short management career, at one point, you know, one of the younger women of color that I worked with, who I helped, you know, deliver a TED Talk, she described me as a for all leader. And that was kind of the pinnacle of, of leadership within the Great Place to Work universe. It meant that you're really an, ex- an inclusive leader and you're bringing out the best in your people. And I wasn't, uh, you know, technically a leader. You know, I didn't manage anybody. But the fact that she could see me as doing that in informal ways really just made my career. You know, it just felt so great. And that's the kind of uh, deeper satisfaction and fulfillment, happiness that's possible when you kind of question those those older ways and, and move to a fuller way of, of, of showing up as a man. We're talking about the organization. And of course, it's interesting to think about the implications this have for work relationships. But imagine if you're making these changes, you're as, as an individual, and you're actually, you know, internalizing what we're talking about, you're going to have significant shifts as well at home. And how does that kind of materialize? What does that look like? Great question, Erica. Uh, I mean, some of those ways are having to be more vulnerable, being vulnerable about your feelings with your wife, say, if you're in a, in a monogamous relationship or heterosexual relationship with your kids, even. It's an, an ability or a willingness to sort of take on these roles that we didn't necessarily do as, as men historically, or at least in, in the last several hundred years, like caregiver, being more willing to be an active father and not just the dad who comes home and expects to be uh, given a cocktail and, and have the kids wait on him, but rather like, and not just even the coach of, of teams, which is, is a, these are all great roles men have had, but to, to actually more actively engage in understanding how your kids are doing, listening to them more fully. Same with your, your spouse or your partner. I would say that this is an area where uh, women can, can really support men in this transition because it can be hard for women to see their male partners showing up in ways that aren't traditionally hyper-masculine. If a man is, is upset about feeling ashamed at work or, or down about something, uh, maybe they're even crying. Can, can that woman partner make space for that, for that emotion you know, and not see it as weak? It's challenging work, but also very meaningful work. In addition to your book, which you mentioned, Reinventing Masculinity, you are also the co-founder of the Teal Team. Can you tell us more? What, what is the Teal Team? The Teal Team is a collection of, of mostly consultants and also some writers who are dedicated to helping organizations evolve. We see the future of work being about more self-managed, holistic, and purpose organizations or cultures in really more soulful places. And so this is a group that started about two and a half, three years ago, and we have about eight, eight people. We get together every week and we, you know, we support each other in, in our own professional and career journeys. And we convene gatherings to explore, you know, what, what this future of work could look like. Let's dig into that one a second. So the main benefits are, I heard some words such as self-management, holism, evolving purpose. What does it mean and how would that translate to our listeners? Self-management is basically democracy. What we're talking about is people having greater power, individual power, and at their team level in their work. You know, and we know that this is important from like, you know, the works of Dan Pink and others who have looked at motivation. We know how important autonomy, mastery, and purpose are. Well, autonomy is really the, the core of self-management. Instead of being told what to do, top-down command and control structures, there's a lot more distributed authority and the ability of individuals to make decisions about how they work. And that's super freeing and exciting. And I've experienced some of that in, in my teams, both a great place to work, uh, but especially with the Teal team and others, other groups I'm working with. Holism is really about being able to bring our whole selves to work. And that's 
including the emotional side of, of ourselves, but also the intuitive powers we have, and even the spiritual. You know, when the in the past, up to now, work has mostly been a, this place where you're supposed to be purely rational, you know, and like a, almost a machine in, in your logic. Bringing emotion into a, a decision is supposed to be a bad thing. The Teal framework says, you know, that's actually not so great. It's actually a myth that we can separate our emotions from our decision making. But also there's a lot of richness and wisdom that can come if we are tapping into to all who we are. And then finally, this evolving purpose piece is, first of all, being about purpose more than profits. It's about solving a meaningful uh, problem in the world more than trying to be enrich ourselves or our organizations. You know, that will come. You know, growth and revenues and profits are, you know, like oxygen that are necessary. But the bigger mission is to is to solve a worthy problem, or a meaningful problem. And not only that, but it's evolving. That is to say, we are sensing and responding to what our organization is called to do. It can sound a little woo-woo, but you're trying to, to listen to collectively what are our collective purposes in this moment. You know, what what's happening in our environment that maybe brings us to want to do something different. So it, it's this frequent reflection on what you're doing and it is really the right thing for your organization at this moment. One of the, the buzz things right now that, that we talk a lot about, but is the resignation tsunami where, or epiphany resignation, where people are, are realizing that they, they're not at a place they want to work out. And, and that comes back to something you just said, which we talked about even in our intro, which is that purpose-driven organization. How would an organization know they've achieved that right level? I think, first of all, it's articulating a worthy mission, you know, one that everyone can get behind. Most organizations can find a worthy mission. You know, the different sectors we have in society are generally, they play a, a valuable role. But then the question is, our organizations, our leaders, our teams really making that the North Star? Or is it more about making a quick buck? And even, you know, you saw in the, uh, the business roundtable about a year ago, or maybe, maybe it's even two years at this point, the, the claim that stakeholders are important, not just shareholders. So, we're moving in this direction, but I would say one simple test in terms of whether you're really a purpose-driven organization are, is can you sleep easily at night? Are you in integrity with your mission? Are you moving from a selfish mindset to a service mindset where you're really about the public serving humanity with, with what you do in your organization? I want to shift gears a little bit, and uh, I appreciate this might be a little vulnerable, but in an effort to get this new concept out in the mainstream, you got so focused on the what? that you forgot to take care of yourself. Do you mind sharing with our listeners? Thank you, Jacqueline. And, and thank you for helping me to like name that when we had our, some of our earlier conversations. As I mentioned, I went independent in December of 2020. And then the first six months of, of 2021 were kind of like being a kid in the candy store. I had so many neat opportunities to meet with people, to collaborate in new teams, but I was really juggling too many balls. But that plus raising two teenagers and te teaching them both how to drive at the same time in San Francisco is, ended up being a lot of stress. And I had a heart attack. I had a mild heart attack in uh, mid-June, and that was followed by an anxiety attack when I got out of the hospital where I kept worrying that I was having other heart attacks. And so I've had to kind of work through that and realize that, yeah, the, the what is super important, this idea of a, a different masculinity, these teal cultures, but it can't come at the expense of a holistic sense of well-being and, and balance. And so I, I've tried to learn some lessons, you know, since that, that heart attack uh, time to really be a more healthy person, a more healthy man. So let's talk about that first. I'm so sorry to hear that from one hypochondriac to maybe another. I, I can only <laughs> yeah. imagine that feeling. But now that you are home and your health is, is stable, 
I think it is so helpful to our listeners to learn and hopefully not make that same mistake. So what what did you do first and what are you doing now to ensure that it, it doesn't happen again? And you focus not just on the what, but that how as well and that whole self you just talked about. One of the first things I did was watch Godzilla versus King Kong. Because that's calming. I was like, that's that's kind of stressful to watch that. Was that a, was that a good choice? Well, it um, yes, because it actually had these interesting counterintuitive lessons about masculinity. You know, it's actually not about who's the toughest monster. You know, I, won't, I don't want to give too much away on your show here. But but basically, the, the wider point was I rested. And that's something that men can feel a lot of shame around or guilt around. But with the help of my wife and, and others that were supporting me, the message and from the doctors, it's like, you got to chill out, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm on medicines to uh, prevent this sort of spasm of my heart artery, which is what was my cause of a heart attack. It wasn't a typical one where there's a buildup of plaque in the arteries. It was this sort of like crimping of a blood vessel that really mostly relates to, to stress, it seems. The importance of doing less was was a major message I, I i had to take away and so just very gradually i probably cut half of my workout in in short order and only now am i kind of gradually taking on more projects i also have a set of editorial clients but really it was about doing less and having more health that saying no or doing less is is hard very hard i i know it especially when you are so passionate about it's like that overdone trait that when you're so passionate that passion can can consume what advice do you have for our listeners who find themselves in that overcommitting and and doing more a couple thoughts one is there's a difference between saying no and not now one thing i did is start saying yes but a month from now or two months from now, like not cramming all these engagements or conversations in the near term, which was one of the, my problems in the past. I would also say like there's this deep soul searching to be done about what projects really are connected to your personal mission. Like what are you really called to do right now? What is your purpose? And, you know, narrow things down. I resigned from the board of a nonprofit that I really treasure, but I just realized I needed to let go of that. It was took a lot of work. Uh, and one final thing I, I heard through the help of my Teal team colleagues is like, if it's not something that you want to say like, F yeah, I'm excited about that, then say no or not yet. Just do the stuff that you're really called to do, I think is one way to, to think about how to say no more often. I think it's really interesting that that advice came from the Teal team colleagues, because based on what I know about them, the idea seems to lend very easily to the idea of following where you have energy and where your sort of resources will naturally fall instead of forcing yourself into situations which then create stress and friction, all those other things that lead to heart palpitations and anxiety attacks and everything else we don't want to be dealing with. That is really a great point, Erica. I, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, there's, it's about like, what is the natural thing for you? Like, where is the energy going to flow? Yeah, stress can build up, especially, I think, when you're in, in activities that aren't, that aren't fully aligned with, you know, where, where, you, where your soul wants to go. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great con, uh, connecting of dots there. Well, that's saying no, and I, I've referenced this book before. I might have referenced it when, when we talked. I can't remember. Um, but that comes out in the uh, Greg McEwen's Essentialism book, and it's that less but better. So I, mm -hmm. for one, am a huge fan. It's something I've applied to my life. And I would, you know, and I kind of summarized it as I would rather do 10 things at 100% than 100 things at 10%. Keep doing it. I know you said you're not great, but... But, but do it and find those things that, that genuinely bring you joy. Shifting gears again slightly, we want to talk a little bit about setting boundaries. Do you feel as if this reflection and the, the heart attack, do you see yourself setting boundaries in a different way? 
I think I am. This idea of knowing that tension mounts, that stress mounts when I've got too many balls in the air has helped me to say no more often. I loved your point about the 10 things that 100%, Jacqueline, like I'm trying to be a really dedicated member of our this teal team right now i'm trying to be really dedicated to the editorial clients i have and i'm kind of trusting that things will emerge over time rather than trying to take too much on is i think the right way to go and it's come out of this this learning i've done how much do you think your own personal experience will impact your research and the work you do a lot i think you know one one of the uh takeaways i had from the heart attack and anxiety attack is that men need all of the masculinity symbol. We need the arrow and the circle. You know, if you think about that that, that Mars symbol, the arrow is typically what uh, we men have focused on, you know, being direct, having a purpose, being driven. You know, it has the phallus uh, imagery to it, and it's sort of a singular thing. But the circle is about connectivity, and it's about vulnerability. It's about welcoming things in. What I what I found is that there were times where I needed to be like tough and sort of like hold my my stuff together you know, and, and be brave when I was you know get, having an operation that sent a camera through my wrist all the way to my heart to not freak out about that. But there was also a lot of need to like be cared for to accept that I was part of a community that circle energy and and in that recovery period that being able to re- rely on others for support a counselor that I've seen for the anxiety th- those things are all about. The circle more than the arrow. So, but you need both. But a man, I think, so much focus on the arrow that we really miss out. I hate to say it, but we are just about out of time. So I am going to ask one of our, our last questions. Can you recommend one book and or one piece of advice? Okay. The book I would recommend is Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Lelou. And that is uh, not not surprisingly or, or not coincidentally why my book is called Reinventing Masculinity. This is the book that sort of launched the Teal Movement several years ago. And it's really about this way of, of, of a future of workplaces that are holistic, self-managed, and about evolving purpose. Really a kind of rich and powerful book that really touched my soul. And then I think a bit of advice I would say is... Uh, for men especially, is that there really is another way to show up as a man from that traditional model. You can expand how you show up and it's worth it. There is a truly liberating power that comes from compassion and connection. And then Ed, how can people find you online that want to connect with you? Thanks, Erica. They can come to edfraunheim.com, my, my website. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people there. And uh, the thetealteam.com is another place where people can uh, check out what, what we're up to in our events, our newsletter, our blogs. So happy to uh, connect further with folks. Excellent. Well, it was so nice to have you. I, I genuinely enjoyed our conversation. And thank you for, for sharing your own incident and reflecting with us. And we'll continue to follow and, and look forward to hearing more. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Thanks, Erica, as well. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to us as much as we enjoy participating in the conversation. Now your homework is to be sure to like, subscribe, and let us know what you thought about today's discussion. And of course, find us online, 52weeksofme.net with a number five and a number two, and at Instagram at 52weeksofme spelled out. Again, we love emails. So email us at 52weeksofme spelled out at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you all soon. Bye! Bye.